Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. Money fixes everything. As the great Arnold Rothstein said, nothing says I'm sorry better than money. Jim Irsay's that uncle you have over at Thanksgiving who farts during the, before the turkey gets served, right out that loud. You know, I mean, like, he just doesn't care. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, we have a football game coming up later this week. But the news and notes keep rolling along out of training camp. How we doing, man? We're doing good. We got a lot of teams going to put pads on today, so we're going to get a little bit of that. We'll we'll get the uh, reports on who's having a good day. You know, the one thing that drives me crazy is when you read who's up, who's down. You know, I know guys have to do their gig, but like yeah. one thing about training camp, it, it's hard and it's tough, and sometimes situations matter where a guy might not look good in a drill or a guy might not be uh, getting the football, not everything's graded on production to have a good practice. And unfortunately, when you go to those ups and downs, you know, who's up, who's down, it's all about who made a catch, who didn't make a catch. And to me, that's a little bit bizarre. But I'm excited, (laughs) Femi. I'm ready to go. Football's here. We got it back. I'm so Uh excited. Uh, And uh, there's so much to talk about. That makes it even better. There is a lot to talk about, and we were talking about on Lombardi Line, our VEASAN show on Saturday, we talked about the whole running back discourse, and like, is this coming to an end? And then Saturday afternoon and evening, I'm getting ready to watch the Errol Spence, uh, Terrence Crawford fight, and all of a sudden my phone is going crazy about a trade request from Colts star running back Jonathan Taylor. But we want to play this cut, though, back from the springtime on April 19th from Jonathan Taylor when he was asked about his contract since he's entering the final year of his rookie deal. Here's what Taylor had to say back in spring. It wouldn't be a distraction to me. Like I'm, I'm under contract here for four years. I put the pen to the paper. So that's where, that's where I'm at right now. I, you know, I made an obligation to them. They made an obligation to me, but things are, things will happen naturally. Like, like I said, it's not until you actually get into that situation to where you're like, Oh, oh let's, let's see how, how do you handle this situation? Cause you always just see it. But you never know what do those guys actually go through. <laughs> so how how did we well, to, how name did we that get tune? <laughs> that tune changed, didn't it? Wow. Yeah. That's now we we're now hearing the remix of that coming up this past weekend as Taylor has now requested a trade. He requested the trade several days ago, obviously wanting a long term extension. Uh, how did we go from back in April saying? I made an obligation to them. They made an obligation to me to where we're now meeting in Jim Ursay's RV and we're now talking about a trade request. I, I mean, there's only one one real analysis that you can make and one assumption that you can make is obviously the agent has gotten into his head. You know, I think he's got first round management, whomever they are, uh, you know, and he's gotten in his head and say, hey, we got to take this on. You know, we're going to fight for our our uh, our our position. Because when you look at it, I mean, he was sensational two years ago, gained 1,800 yards, averaged nine yards a catch, but last year was not a good year for him. And so what I thought he said back in April the 19th was exactly what you should say. I put the pen to paper. I got to do a contract. I'm 23 years old. You know, I'm going to go out there and make them make a decision based on what I do. But this shift in his behavior, to me, tells me a lot of it, must be coming from the agent. I mean, it must be, hey, this is the stance we have to take. And then he goes on Twitter and says, it's not fixable. I mean, look, I, I, how many times have I read a relationship's not fixable from an agent to a club? I mean, it's just a comedy. I mean, seriously, it's a freaking comedy. Every, money fixes everything. There's, as the great Arnold Rothstein said, nothing says I'm sorry better than money. Nothing. <laughs> and so this will be fixed with money if the Jim Ursay is off on the deep end. I mean, truly, I said this before the show started. Jim Ursay's that uncle you have over at 
at Thanksgiving who farts during the before the turkey gets served, right out that loud. You know, I mean, like he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. You know, they say monks that that one of the spirituality about monks is is they're willing to pass gas or do anything because they're completely carefree. They don't care. Well, I'm not saying Ursay's a monk, but he's got monk-like behavior. I mean, it's like when Paulie was at Jackie Jackie Jr.'s funeral and he unbuttoned his belt buckle. I mean, that's Jim Ursay. He don't care. He got to say what he thinks. And, and, and when you're dealing with that, right, when you're dealing with that, if you're Kawhi, I think that's the agent's name from first-round entertainment, first-round management. I don't know the guy. But if you're dealing with that, right, every negotiation is you dealing with somebody. If you know this is who you're dealing with, if you're dealing with the unconventional swordsman, you, you better just you better play it a little different because this guy's not normal. This guy's not going to play it normally. Yeah, I, no filter, I think, is a good way to describe Jim Irsay, the way that he went ahead and talked to the media shortly after the report came out about the trade request. This was after the RV meeting on Saturday. And I guess for Taylor, probably because I asked the question, how did we get here? And my guess is that, Obviously, a lot has changed between that time in April and all the way now here where we're sitting, where we're on one day away from August. The running backs, I'm sure he saw, hey, these guys did not get their contracts. Maybe he's trying to, like, not maybe, he is trying to force the issue and say, all right, well, I want to trade or I want you to pay me. But like you mentioned, this is not a conventional man that they're dealing with. And Jim Ursay, maybe it's logical to pay Jonathan Taylor. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. But even if it were... He might just say, you know what, just out of pride and out of just being petty, I'm not going to do it. And also, we're not going to trade you because he did say that as well, that we're not trading Jonathan Taylor. All right. What would you pay him? Is he better than I mean, he's had one really good year. He's a good player. You got to pay him more than Nick Chubb. You got to pay him more than Aaron Jones is at 11.5. I mean, you could bitch about the running back market all you like. Right. But nobody's the, it, it, it's supply and demand. There's too many running backs. I mean, Miles Sanders had a really good year, a really good year last year. He went out in the open market. He got $6.35 million. Right? David Montgomery's yeah. a good player, not as good as Taylor, but he's a good player. He got $6 million. Joe Mixon just took a pay cut to 5-7. I mean, Aaron Jones went down to 11-5. I mean, Derrick Henry's at 12-5. I mean, like, if the market is the market and this is what you have to pay for quarterbacks – then why is it you don't have to pay this for running backs? Why are there two different things? See, it's all about what what favors the voices. And look, these running backs have people, they have a promotional tour behind them. I mean, people are sympathetic to it. Like, mm -hmm. like it's the market. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's collectively bargained, as Jim Mersey said. So, Taylor... I would I wouldn't have any really apprehension of paying him like a deal that would pay him for the next two to three years. I'm sure maybe he wants four or five years or something like that and wants a little bit more security. But I mean, when you look at his numbers, last year was a down year. It was a down year for the entire team. Offensive line fell apart. They didn't get the great quarterback play that they thought from Matt Ryan and Taylor's numbers suffered from it. Oh, and by the way, he got injured as well, which is why I'm sure the Colts are a little bit scared of paying him. But the previous two years, his first two years in the season, I mean, he was above five yards per carry. Uh, he was really productive in the passing game. I mean, like, this is a guy that scores a lot of touchdowns, 18 touchdowns in 2021, 11 his rookie season. Like, like he, We were talking about him heading into last year as one of the premier running backs in the league. I mean, he finished second in the Offensive Player of the Year voting behind Cooper Cup two years ago. So, like, this is one of those weapons that we talk about, and the Colts having a rookie quarterback don't really have to pay the quarterback right now. So maybe you could get away with paying Taylor for two to three years. And then at that point, once if Richardson works out, then it's time to pay him. You can figure out what you'll do with Jonathan Taylor, kind of like how Dallas did with Zeke Elliott. of saying, all right, well, now that we're two to three years in this thing, we don't really want you anymore, and we'll kind of go ahead and let you go your separate ways. But the Zeke Elliott proves the point. I mean, how many of those guys didn't get to the end of their contract? All those guys that signed contracts as running backs, they don't make it to well, the end. Zeke made it last year because he had a guarantee. I mean, this year, James Conner's making it to the end of his deal, which isn't – I mean, I think it's, what, 70 year? I mean, he's making it to the end because he has a guarantee. I mean, other than Nick Chubb and Henry, you know, and Eckler took a pay cut, Aaron Jones took a pay cut. Like, I think Jonathan Taylor's a great player, and I think when you average nine yards a catch like he did last year, two years ago, 
you know, he got 12 first downs. I, I think he's worth it. But the market doesn't say it. If you're paying above market value, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Yeah. And, and what Ursay say is true. The leagues goes on. I mean, this is. is the way the league set it up. And so, you know, look, I mean, Barkley screamed and kicked and hauled and all that. I'm going to hold out. I'm not doing this. And he comes in for 909000 in incentives that they have that he's never really accomplished, and they got to make the playoffs. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. But he did that. I mean, you have to recognize it is what it is. Well, let's talk about Ursay's comments because when I saw those Saturday night, and this is the comments for those of you who missed it, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you didn't miss those comments, but I'll read them anyways. He said, quote, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. Now, I I saw those comments Saturday night, and I was like, that's 100% true, but I don't know if we need to say every truth out loud. Like, I don't think you're going to really ingratiate yourself to your employees by saying, well, hey, you're all replaceable. I'm replaceable. Nobody cares. We're going to move on. Like, do you think that's the best practice? Like, we talk about that no filter thing. Like, yeah, it's true, but not every truth needs to be said out loud. Well, I mean, look, it is true, and it does go on, and all these holdout and, and all this complaining by the running backs is going to get them nowhere. It's not going to get them anywhere because there'll be some young running back drafted in the second or third round who may not be as good as Jonathan Taylor, who may not, Mm -hmm. but he'll be as adequate or close to. And so, you know, they'll move on. I I just think to me, it it, it plays into the sympathy of the, the media market that people want to keep talking about it. It's simple economics. There's too many good running backs. And Ursay's right. I mean, the league has always just continued to move on. It doesn't stay static. And people go on without you. Why not? I mean, you got that's why you gotta grab as much as you can while you got a chance to grab it. There's no sense in holding back. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's essentially what Taylor's trying to do right now with forcing the hand. No, here he's saying- not. No, he's not. He's got a contract. He just said April nineteenth, I put the pen to paper. He's got well- a contract. Well, I mean, we know the contracts. I mean, how many contracts actually expire in the NFL? Like, teams cut guys every day, you know? Well, <laughs> it's. I mean, but when you have a contract the cl- for the club to do a deal and redo, it's got to benefit the club, too. I mean, I don't understand it. Like, we're not in the business to give away money. Like, we're just not. I mean, teams just don't say, okay, take all our money. Like, it's a capitalistic system. Yeah. That was collectively that- bargained. But also... I would love you to own a team. You would just give it away. Oh, take it. Go ahead. Oh, please. Feel free. Give it to him. I'll have it. Please take the money. I don't need it. I mean, come on, Femi. Let's talk about that on the other side because I would not give that away. I'm only giving it away to the great players. And I think John DeTaylor actually is a great player. He's a great player. We'll talk about that on the other side. We're going to take our first break, though. This is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. 
All right, well, obviously Jonathan Taylor right now is in this situation with the Indianapolis Colts. And, and the point that I was making as we we're heading to break here, Michael, is that like we're talking about how, like, hey, like you got to try to get it while you can get it because this thing is not going to last for long. And I think that's what Taylor is acknowledging. And right now he is eligible for a contract extension. He's not doing this after year two where it's like, okay, well, we phys- like we it's collectively bargained to where we cannot pay you because you've only served two years in the NFL. The Colts could pay him if they wanted to. But like you mentioned, they're not just going to hand it out for free. So Taylor is saying, all right, well, I have to try to force their hand in some sort of fashion to get my money because just being showing up to camp and doing your thing, they're just going to let you play that out and then franchise tag you. And then you'll be right in the same situation that Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley were in. He's trying to prevent that. Like, I, can't you also oh, see where oh, Taylor's oh, he's going to prevent that, that by doing what he's doing? Oh, he's going to prevent it. Like, defend no, that statement to. you just made. How is Look, he saying, going to prevent that from doing what you're doing? I don't know if he's he going to scare them to death. To. He just had an owner that said, if I die tomorrow, life goes on. Mm-hmm. If he dies tomorrow, life goes on. That's he's really scared. You just scared no. him by holding out. Like you think he gives see like what I think the only way you we we wrote about this for the Daily Coach. There's a great interview on Orson Welles. And Orson mm-hmm. Welles was trying to get authority to do the movie Citizen Kane. And he had never made a movie in his life. Never made a movie. He'd just done Broadway plays. But he had this unbelievable ability to tell stories. So RKO, the the, whatever it was, some movie production company, kept coming back to him. And all he wanted was complete authority to run the movie. And he kept saying no because he didn't care. He didn't care. He didn't really want to do it. He didn't care. When you try to force somebody who doesn't care, you get nowhere. You're never going to get that. Like this holdout is going to be bizarre. So whether so, then he comes to camp and we get this report that he complained about a back. The agent denies there's no back injury. The kid denies it. Okay. Well, I mean, who? Where'd that come from? All right. Well, the reason there's the, that he complained about a back because if he's in there, right? He's on pup. Fa- failed his physical before the season started. But if he complains about a back that didn't occur on campus, they could put him on NFI. And which means they don't have to pay him. And his contract gets told, which means it goes over to the next year, which is not a smart play by the agent at all. You can't go NFI here because you give the club everything. So, you know, now they retracted it. Like, what's his play? I'll tell you, okay, so you say, I'm not healthy. I'm not healthy. I'm not going to play. Okay, great. You're not going to play. We'll put you on PUP. We'll pay you $4 million. And then next year, we'll franchise you at 10.1 or whatever the number is, and we'll try to trade you. We'll try to trade you. See who else well, wants to pay you all this money. Well, Ursa said he doesn't want to trade him. <laughs> so he said he doesn't want to. I mean, I guess what I'm saying from Taylor is that, like, yeah, like the chances of him being successful are very slim to none, pretty much, probably zero. But then from why his perspective, he has to try something or he's going to be right back. Like, like, should he just sit there and be like, all right, I guess why I'll play out my deal. Why would he say, no why money? would he do, give Barkley credit, Barkley for all the false bravado finally wow. said I wanted to be with my teammates. I mean, if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'd basically say, look, you know, I said what I said in April. I stand by it. I'm going to come into camp. I'm going to show them that I'm the best running back in the National Football League, and I- I'm going to earn my contract. I signed it. I did it. If you but play that you- game, but if you take if you take the stance that he takes, now they're hostile. You're hostile. The agent will never agree again. Oh yeah, right. You call your bluff, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You, you're really, you're, you're a tough guy. Twitter tough guy. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously. No, Money yeah, I mean, we'll answer the, it. The, the the agent to me is almost irrelevant in this whole discussion. My no, he's only not. Thing is, he's well, completely well, that, relevant I mean, because he, he's convincing the kid we got to act like an asshole. The kid didn't want to act like an asshole at the end of the year. I mean, that's that's definitely fair. But I, I just think that for Taylor, if he goes about it and says, all right, I honored my contract, play out this season, leads the league in rushing, like similar to Josh Jacobs. Come March, what happens? He's on the franchise tag. Same situation as right. Josh Jacobs. And then what does he have to do? Be Saquon Barkley this time next year and say, all right, can you give me some incentives? And if we make the playoffs and then after that year, what happens? Like that's what he's trying I to think prevent. If he comes, okay, let's play that out. Like, if like, he comes like, in like, there next year and says, and he does all those things you said, and he wants a contract that's, you know, above what Henry got at twelve and a half, and 
you know, that's that's a market deal, they'll pay the market deal. I don't think they, they have a problem paying the market deal. I think what you're trying to get is a way above market deal. Like the McCaffrey deal is kind of messing everything up. Right? It's kind of messing everything up. Same thing with Kamara. Like Kamara's two and a half million more than Henry, two and a half, two almost two and a half million more than Chubb. Like those deals are almost outlier. Nobody wants to go to those deals. Well, we talk about the market deal. Like I don't know if those deals are outliers because we've seen these running back salaries. It's not keeping up with the actual salary cap. So, like, like how is that way above supply but, but, and demand? Why is but that? Those, but those guys got it. It's well, they yeah, but the supply, it's simple economics. Why does nobody understand this, right? Quarterbacks make way too much. Ryan Tannehill, all those guys are not worth the money, but there's no, no. supply, so they make the money. There's too many running backs. You got Kenneth Walker in the second round, Charbonnet, in, you got all these backs, right? Mm. And you're like, why would I pay? Ramondo Stevenson, as good, as good a back as there is in the league, he's a fourth-round pick. Eckler's a college free agent. Nobody even knew who the hell he was. Like, it's supply and demand. I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand. Well, I, Why we would I pay a running back? Line. Why would I pay way above market when I could get Aaron Jones in the sixth round? I mean, but like you can why say that about Why would I pay above position? market when I could get Miles Sanders in the second or David Montgomery but, but in see, the third? But see, that's where – we do this thing with running back, but we don't do that with any other position. Like you can say, why because would I pay Because there's not enough Ryan supply. Tannehill? There's not but, but, enough supply. So every good player at every other position has been drafted in the first round? No. You can no, find – like there's, there's why a, would I pay so-and-so Why does Zach Martin want to hold out? <laughs> why does Zach Martin want to hold out? Because there's no supply. He knows that there's not a player behind – there's not a lot of offensive linemen. So he has a little bit of leverage. At offensive line, yes, but at the skill position, guys, like why would I get this wide receiver if I can draft Terry McLaurin in the third round? Why would I do this because if I can draft this guy? Because how many receivers blow? How many receivers? How many receivers have been blown picks? I how mean, there's times? a lot of good ones. I mean, we have there's a lot of bad ones too, Femi. There's I mean, a lot of bad of, ones. I mean, that, with the passing league, I mean, I I just I mean, think that we have John a, a Ross lot of just retired. Players. I mean, there was one yeah. for you from Seattle. He just retired. Yeah. Hey, Ran that's, the that's fastest time of the 40, 10th pick in the draft. <laughs> that's my guy, man. He helped the Huskies make the college football playoff. Uh, but I, I think, like, there's, I just think that we do this with running backs solely. And I get it. Like, there's a lot of good No, we ones don't. That we find. do it because yes, supply and demand. It's Adam. Yes. I mean, Adam, it just goes yeah, back Smith, to the yeah. sip. It's all what it is. Like, why is that yeah. so hard to grasp? It's not hard. Travis we don't ATN's grasp it for a really positions. good player. Because there's abundance of receive, there's more receivers out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's not. You know, everybody thinks they're draft. The problem is what I wrote about. Everybody thinks they're drafting a number one receiver, and they're not. My thing with the position is just that, other than in the trenches, like offensive line and defensive line, I'm there with you. We don't have enough supply, so I'm willing to pay those guys. These skill guys. I'm sorry. Like I can find a wide receiver in the second or third round. I don't need to pay 25 million. Just like how we do it with running backs, I'll do it with those positions. Some of these quarterbacks, Daniel Jones, like all these guys, yeah. like I can you, find that. I can I, replace them. Right. That, but can I it's not? It's the same thing in basketball. That the quarterback position in the NFL is like the good player in basketball. You know, Bradley Beal's a good player, mm -hmm. but we can't. But if we don't pay them, we're not going to be as good, so we got to overpay them, right? You know, and so that what happens is in basketball, they're starting to overpay good as if they were great, right? And it's the same yeah. thing at quarterback. We're starting to pay good players great money. Daniel Jones is not. I mean, I've watched him again. They're behind 28 to nothing in that Eagle game like it was nothing. I yeah. mean, and don't tell me, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was his fault. He throws an interception. He's got two-third. He's got a third down and a fourth down. He can't convert. He gets sacked on both plays. Like, don't tell me that. Like, I watched that mm -hmm. game again. Like, don't tell me that. Like, and now the defense wasn't very good either. But, like, they had no – like, their separation between yeah. the Giants and the Eagles based 100%. on last year was significant. Significant, 100%. right? 
So yep. I'm with you on Daniel Jones, but that's what happens. They pay good like they're great. Yeah, and and you can look at the Minnesota Vikings as well. The, the reason why they're hemorrhaging talent and all that stuff. Now, I know they restructured Daniel Hunter, but they were cap-strapped with that Cousins contract, that fully guaranteed deal that they signed him to come onto their team. It's like you're giving this guy all this money when he's – like you're paying him like he's great when he's not great. And I get like, but the alternative, like, yeah, hard, there's no but. alternative. You just paid Bradley Beal like he's great and he's not. I mean, you can go but, through the list of these guys making this ridiculous money. They paid Dylan Brooks eighty million for four years. You know, like it's ridiculous. But the, the, there's but, people are scared to say, well, if we don't have them, we're going to be bad. Now you're sitting here without, you know, you're saying you're willing to do that. But if you worked for the Giants, you would probably say, "Well, we got to sign." I mean, we got to sign. Yeah. What's our alternative? We have no alternative. I mean, they're saying, "Hey, if we don't do this, we'll be bad." You also are not going to sniff the Super Bowl, which is the ultimate goal. I mean, when did right, Minnesota sniff the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins? Your guard in your desk <laughs> is what this is, and there's more running back, right. so you let that one go. And I mean, look at it. How many quarterbacks? There's three, six. Nine, there's 11 quarterbacks making 40 million or more a year. 40 million I mean, or more. I mean, we're, we're guarding Des, but Rick Spielman's not there anymore for the Minnesota Vikings. Like, you know, like they, you can guard your desk for X amount of years for so long, but eventually the Grim Reaper is going to come knocking at the door if you guys don't produce. And I think like with, when you pay those quarterbacks, it becomes harder to produce paying average or good guys great money like there's no way to build the roster when you're doing that and you're like yeah you might give yourself a couple more years but you're not going to get to where you, you want to go you should call ultimately. John Mayer on the phone you and John should have a conversation I think that I mean shoot I, I, I should I could have told I could have prevented him from paying his quarterback great money when he's actually you not could even have that never good. prevented that he yeah. was determined well, to pay that that's why they have a win total of seven and a half after paying their quarterback. Let's see how that works out this fall. On the other side, we'll talk about some injuries from around the league. This is the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. All right, let's talk about a guy that's probably going to get paid before the regular season starts, and that is Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. I mean, earlier last week, man, the scare on the Twitter timeline when we saw Joe Burrow being carted off the Bengals practice field after suffering a calf strain. Head coach Zach Taylor was pressed on this and saying, hey, what is the injury? How long is this going to take? Taylor has since said this will take several weeks. When pressed on what does several weeks mean, he said several weeks means several weeks. So we believe that the Cincinnati Bengals have dodged the major bullet there of Burrow being out for an entire season. But this is still something that's going to be a little tricky for them to navigate in the early portion of the season because once again, we're now talking about Joe Burrow missing significant time in training camp. 
I mean, he didn't play last year in preseason. Remember, he had the he had the appendix appendectomy. I mean, he yep. didn't throw one pass last preseason. He's not going to throw one pass this preseason. So that's just modus operandi. They signed Reed Stennett from the University of San Diego as the third. So you know, Brandon Allen's on San Francisco's team. So they've got you know they're they're going to have to go with Trevor Simeon and whomever else you know that they can kind of muster through their lineup. I I, I mean, look. It is what it is. I mean, they you know they're fortunate that it wasn't an Achilles. They're a slow starting team. I mean, think about it. They didn't do anything this off season. I mean, they didn't really. They took a very slow start, uh, and they'll they'll try to figure out a way. They've got a lot of moving pieces defensively, but you know Burrow will get paid. Mike Brown wants to pay Burrow. It's an easy contract to do. The market there has you know there's a lot of players that he can look at and compare us. So they'll move forward. I mean, it's really not that complicated. I think the thing that you have to in a betting world is Cincinnati will start slow again. I don't anticipate them starting fast. I think defensively, particularly because they have two new safeties, that it's going to take some time for them to get the calls, get the communication, get all that stuff done early in the season. Can they afford to start slow? Because we've talked about how the AFC North is much better than it was last year, and it was still pretty good last year, but – in my opinion, this is the best division in all of football. Can they afford a yeah. slow start? I don't know. You know, Femi, I think that that's a great question. I mean, you know, that's the problem is there's going to be a team. The eighth team in the AFC is probably going to be better than the fifth team in the NFC that makes yeah. the playoff. It might and, be the fourth and, team. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. They started two years in a row at five and four, and they ended up, you know, they had to play a wild card game against the Raiders. They won that in the last second. They beat Tennessee in Tennessee, and then they beat Kansas City in Kansas City that year. Last year, you know, they got to host a game, and then they had to go to Kansas City. I think it's challenging because, as you said, the competition, Pittsburgh's going to be way better. Pittsburgh will be better. Yeah. Uh, I think Cleveland. Cleveland's going to be better. So you're right, but, I mean, this is the way they've taken it, and they've peaked at the right time. I mean, give – as much as I don't agree with what they do in terms of preparing, they have peaked. That the second half of their last two years have been sensational, and Taylor deserves credit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're definitely always an ascending team in the second half of the season, kind of peaking in that playoff time. Um, Baltimore has also gotten better. Lamar Jackson's back in the fold. Did you see the uh, the Lamar Jackson to Odell Beckham touchdown from training camp? Did you see, did that come across was your he timeline? Under center? Did he run a bootleg yeah, under center? It was under center, a play action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. this is a new offense, huh? <laughs> well, it'd be interesting to see. I think you know Lamar probably won't play any in the summer, but at least we'll get to see yeah. the offense, right? Yeah. No, it's I, I'm I'm optimistic about Baltimore's offense uh, defensively. Are you betting usually, them on the over? I can't get there. I mean, I, I haven't bet any AFC. You just said you were optimistic on it. I, optimistic about the offense. De- I was about to say defensively, I have question marks with the pass rush, uh, the secondary. I think there's some issues there. Like it's, I don't well, know about Baltimore. the draft. I don't know how you could be well, not not love the what they did. I mean, they got an A in the draft, so. I mean, we're getting rave reviews from our guy Zay. Zay Flowers, man. Like, they, he looks electric. Electric, according to the timeline. <laughs> we haven't seen him actually play a Everybody's game. Everybody's electric. I mean, tell me a guy that doesn't look – have you heard anybody that doesn't look good? We'll get into that later because I, I have. Heard I mean, Anthony Richardson <laughs> took seven hours to throw a deep ball, and all everybody wanted to do was talk about how great he threw the deep ball. Now, look. <laughs> I'm not down on Anthony Richardson. It's going to take him some yeah, time, but like we're going to have that. to watch him play in a game. You know, we're going to have yeah. to watch him see how he handles a game, plays with rhythm. Because remember, the preseason is different than the Saturday game, and the preseason is way different than the Sunday game. Mm-hmm. Uh, kudos to that beat writer, by the way, that was tweeting about Anthony Richardson because they actually put the disclaimer that he would have been sacked if this was a real game. Because usually you don't get yeah. the disclaimer. Usually it's just like he uncorked the ball 65 <laughs> yards in the air. And we had him on. Oh, yeah. We had him on, and he said you that, guys had him on? that Richardson, yeah, Richardson has looked right. good in some team situations. He struggles more in seven-on-seven. Seven. Uh, no, he's looked good in seven-on-seven. Seven. He struggles in team situations, which is, look, when, it, when you're in teams, when you're in seven-on-seven, seven, you can hold the ball. There's no rush. Yeah. The pocket's clean. You're, you should look good in seven-on-seven. Seven. The team settings is a little different, you know. Now, remember this. When you're when he's practicing against Indy, 
He's playing against Seattle cover three. It isn't like he's getting a lot of different looks. Indy's defensive scheme is relatively simplistic. Mm-hmm. So unless they're doing scout team stuff, which nobody's doing yet, it, it, it should be rather easy for him to get his feet wet and move along. Yeah, we, we, especially like a week or so from now, maybe two weeks from now, like he should have the hang of that defense, at least what they're doing, and feel a little bit more comfortable. But we know rookies, they tend to struggle there. So uh, we got the disclaimer there on Anthony Richardson. But uh, we talked about the Burrow injury to start this segment. Let's talk about the Jalen Ramsey injury because this one's a little bit more serious for the Miami Dolphins uh, because Ramsey, it sounds like with this meniscus tear is what they're calling it. He had the surgery Friday afternoon. Sounds like he won't be back until December if all goes well. He was one of their big offseason acquisitions alongside Vic Fangio, their defensive coordinator. Like, it's not a situation where it's like, how do they recover from this? Because I think that's a little bit too drastic. But this is a pretty big blow to that defense, though, wouldn't you say? Well, I think so, especially considering that most teams, you know, they the Miami's a really good run. Their front seven's hard to run the ball. I mean, they were sixth in the National Football League last year in yards per attempt allowed. And so people took the, the – the, they ran – they threw the ball. They threw the ball quite a bit on them. And they were 31st in, in passing attempts against them. I mean, people tried to throw the ball on them. And, you know, they couldn't intercept passes. They gave up a ton of yards, you know, in terms of their offense. And they handled it, you know. So it's going to be important. Look, Xavier Howard wasn't very good last year. They drafted Cam Sutton from South Carolina to help them in the back end. You know, Needham is typically their star corner. They put him on, they put him on uh, PUP. He's not ready to go. So uh, the secondary, the outside corner is going to be a little interesting to see how it all develops and comes through. But they're, they're you know, when they brought in, when they brought in an Eli Apple, they're telling you we need another corner. Yeah. I mean, they signed Cruz Cross on uh, Kenyon Cross on from the Giants, who's a special teams player. Typically, Jason Justin Bethel's a special teams player. So they they're a corner short. They're going to need to fix that. Where are you at with the Dolphins, just in general, in this AFC East? Because I know we've talked ad nauseum about the New York Jets, and rightfully so, they have a new quarterback, one of them being Aaron Rodgers. Um, but where are you at with them in comparison to New England? to the Buffalo Bills who right now are the betting favorites still to win that division around like plus 120 or so. Are you buying into the Dolphins here from, from a season perspective? Well, I, I mean, look, their, their offensive line got two quarterbacks hurt last year. I mean, Tua and Teddy. I mean, Teddy got concussed too, right? You know, yeah. and so, I, I, I mean, as good a season that Tua had in terms of throwing the ball, he had 400 attempts in 13 games. I mean, they made no effort to try to run the ball. And their offensive line isn't any better. Armstead's on PUP. Austin Johnson at right tackle. Are we sure he's good enough? You know, I think that's going to be the fascinating thing. Are they, you know, the two areas of weakness for this Miami team was their offensive line and their corner. They didn't do anything to the offensive line, and they traded for Ramsey at corner. Now, are they, you know, but now Ramsey's hurt. Can Tua stay healthy? He's going to get hit. I mean, if you call it, if you're 31st in rushing attempts, which is what Miami was, and they weren't behind in games, right? They weren't mm-hmm. behind in games. Think about this. Take a guess. How, where do you think Miami fit on third down offense in the National Football League last year? Ooh, third down offense. I would say it was a pretty explosive offense. So 12th, I'd say 12th. How about 24th? How about 24th converting third downs? Right? Twenty fourth. They were twenty fourth on third down offense. They were twenty fourth on third down defense. Now they played way too much man. They fired Boyer. They got him out of there. So, you know, they played man and had no corners because Howard couldn't really play last year, whether he was hurt or not. We'll see this summer. But mm-hmm. to me, that's the concern. You know, I mean, you you gotta hold up on third down with your protection. As good as they are at the skill position, they still got to hold up. Are they going to be able to hold up? Can Armstead stay healthy? We know the answer. He won't play 17 games. That, that's that's yeah. just not going to happen. He's a good player, but he won't play. Can Austin yeah. Johnson stay healthy? Can they play good up front? I mean, I, that's where I am with Miami. I'm going to buy their offensive line. Yeah. Uh, I think they just need Toronto Armstead to play the right games. Because, like, you know he's going to miss some games, but it's like as long as he's healthy, if they get to the playoffs, is what but you But what are the right for. games? I mean, New England's defense is good. The Jets front's good. Buffalo gives them trouble. There's that that's six games they gotta play good in, right? That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do. And you gotta keep your quarterback healthy. You know, you could say, you know, it's it's 
I mean, think about it. McDaniel and Kyle, say whatever you want. I think Kyle's offense is spectacular, right? But their, mm-hmm. court, their protections are not always allowing the quarterback to stay healthy. San Francisco went through how many quarterbacks? They went through three last they year. They went through the great Trey Lance. They went through Jimmy Garoppolo. They went through Brock Purdy. They went through Josh Johnson. And then and there they are. Yeah. Four. Same thing yeah. in Miami. What's the commonality? When it becomes a drop-back game, they're not really equipped for it. They get pushed. They get hit. It's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it, they almost put Christian McCaffrey at quarterback in that NFC Championship game. That was – Well, but – no, that was, I mean, that, that was, what's uh, the similarity? They're, they don't have – like, San Francisco's going to try to play a right tackle this year. I mean, they're, they're going to hope that they can stay healthy at quarterback again this year. We'll see. When they can run the ball and do all that. See, where, where McDaniel didn't even try to run the ball. He just wanted to th- – he, he was like, Tyreek wants the ball. Waddle wants the ball. we got to give him the ball. We'll see. At yeah. some point, I, I, you know, this is a big thing. At some point, there's winning, and then there's who's winners. And winning the game is more important than winning the stats. I would agree with that. I, I, I like that they throw early on, but the fact that they don't run the ball to close games out, that is very I strange. got a question to ask you when we come back from the break. Okay. All right, well, I'll answer that question. We'll also answer the question of what's going on between Aaron Rodgers and Sean Payton and also the Niners QB situation. This is the GM Show. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. <laughs> Michael, you ended the segment saying that you wanted to ask me a question. What did you want to ask me? Well, I, you know, I've been going through this, getting ready for the season and trying to do prep. And, and one of the things I think that I'm going to write about this for the Daily Coach, I think it's really important is to understand that you know, in most of these organizations, the job descriptions, everybody thinks their job description is has winning in it, right? Mike McDaniels, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, you know, but he's really just, he's the offensive coordinator. Where winning is in his content. For him to keep his job, the criteria is winning. For the offensive coordinator, it's to get first downs, to score points, and to get gain yards, Okay. That's that's that. It has nothing to do with winning in it, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing with the defense coordinator. Get first downs, stop them from getting first downs, stop them from scoring, and turn the ball over. Nothing yep. about winning. You could be on a really, really shitty team and be number two in the league in defense, and you'll be up for a head coaching job. Okay? So yep. there's there's winning, and then there's winners. So when you're winning as a team, you know, you're, you're, all those three things work together. They kind of synthesize together. So, for example, I was going through this, and we talk about all these quarterbacks that have to be managed. So if I were to say to you, you know, the the great Asante Samuel said that Belichick had nothing to do with, with the Patriots winning seven, six Super Bowls. Okay, great, Asante. I'm sure you didn't really do any research with that commentary, but let's just put things in perspective. It's very Tell strange. me how many yards did Tom Brady throw for against the St. Louis Rams in their first Super Bowl win? Whew. Back in 2001, uh, it was not the passing league that we live in now. I would say 190, 200, around that range. Okay. They ran for 134. They threw for 133. Wow. Okay. So my point <laughs> yeah. about that is, is they did what it took to win the game. They made timely plays. Brady makes a great throw to Patton in the back corner of the end zone. They make timely plays. But what happens to a lot of these programs and why you you have to be really careful is the head coach is the only guy who deter, has winning in his, in, his, in his job description. And so if he's not demanding to play the game the right way, to give a team a chance to win, to protect certain elements of the other phases of the team, you got no chance. It's like a team saying, you know, we want to play fast. We want to play no huddle. We want to play tempo. But your defense stinks. So when you do that, all you're doing is is putting your defense on the field more. Yeah. It's it's what we, it's really at the end of the day, it's what McCarthy decided when he that. when he moved on from Kellen Moore. He was tired of having a winner. Moore got all these head coaching interviews. He was more interested in winning. 
Yeah. No, I was I was honestly just about to ask you about McCarthy, like taking over from Kellen Moore there, because I mean, being the head coach, he knows that hey, we got to win the game and do what it takes to win the game. Kellen Moore, he's not really seeing it from that ten thousand foot view, and, and it, it's like it's it's not in his job description to see it from that view. It's not in his job description. It's not. Yeah. It's really not. It's like Kyle Shanahan getting blamed for not running the ball in Super Bowl, you know, in the yep. Super Bowl. His, his job yep. is to get first downs and score points. Unless Dan Quinn walks over to him and tells him, hey, man, we're going to run it here, then, you know, and, and, and that's the perfect example. And we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about that enough. Like, the Patriots won that Super Bowl. Think about the Pittsburgh game. Go back the next week before they played it, right? The mm-hmm. Pittsburgh game. If, if Troy Brown doesn't return to punt, they're not winning that game. Yeah. Tom Brady got hurt, and it was, Drew Bledsoe was in. In the game against Pittsburgh, and yeah, that's. I, I'm glad you said that because we don't talk about that enough. And like, I feel like, like obviously, like the offensive schemes and all that stuff. Like, it's really interesting, and it does matter. But I feel like we spend way too much time on stuff like X's and O's and all that versus like, all right, how do we actually manage the game? Because the point of the game that day is to try to win the game. It's not to try to put up as many points or try to show off this offense or whatever. It's like, it's to win the game and you got to do certain things that maybe, yeah, it's like, I'm not necessarily calling this play to be the most productive play ever, but I think that this play call is to going to help us actually accomplish the goal, which is win. Because that's how we all move right. on. And, and, and so those two games that they won, the, su- the, the, the Ram game and the Steeler game, the defense, which Tom doesn't play, just to point out, <laughs> created seven turnovers. I thought, I thought I saw Brady out there dropping back in coverage. <laughs> maybe that, well, maybe that I mean, might teach Asante must up. have saw him doing that. I mean, that's how stupid these statements are. Like, is, is Belichick a better coach with Brady? Without a doubt. I mean, they, they need yeah. each other. Everybody needs one another. That's the point. Yeah. And that's the whole point of this conversation is, you know, as it relates to Miami and Tua, is is if Mike McDaniel going to protect Tua? Or is he just going to say, I got to get the ball? You know, we're going to get – is he going to be an offensive coordinator calling plays? I think if he starts doing that, Vic Fangio will come down and try to sh- – I mean, there'll, there'll be a fight. <laughs> I don't- if I'm Mike McDaniel, I don't think I'd be wanting to fight Vic Fangio. That's just me. Because <laughs> Vic the wants to win. Vic's yep. about winning. He's been a head coach. He's an older coach. He wants to win. It's about winning. You could say, well, McDaniel wants to win too. Yeah, yeah, he does. But his formula for winning has affected the team. Well, I think one coach who has mastered this pretty well is Sean Payton. As an offensive play caller, he has the offensive play calling background, but he's learned how to sort of manage games. He's won a Super Bowl and he's won many of other games as well. But Sean Payton recently getting into it, which I I thought it was rather strange seeing this because usually we hear coaches kind of like, all right, like you don't really like break the code and go after other coaches and stuff like that. And and he, he went after Nathaniel Hackett. No, no two ways about it. Talking about how it was the worst coaching job last season with the Denver Broncos. Well, Peyton, he hasn't retracted those statements, but he kind of was like, all right, like I shouldn't have said that. Here's what he had to say when he addressed it with Broncos media earlier this weekend. I had one of those moments where I still had my Fox hat on and, and not my coaching hat on. And, uh, you know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday. We've had a great offseason relative to that, you know, and I've been preaching that message. And here I am, the veteran, um, you know, stepping in it. And, uh, you know, it was it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake. Obviously, I needed a little bit more filter. Um, you know, there's a pound of flesh for these guys. And, and as a coach, you stick up for them. And after a while, you know, we're past that season last year and, And, you know, I said what I said, and and obviously I needed a little bit more uh, restraint, and uh, I regret that. So Peyton says he regrets the comments. Um, Didn't apologize Uh, for that, which I don't think he should have. (laughs) I love Sean, and Mm. I was, uh, you know, I'm a fan of Sean, been a friend for a long time when we brought him into Philadelphia in 1999. Uh, He's been tremendous, but when he had his Fox hat on, he wasn't very controversial. He said a lot of good things about football, but he wasn't controversial. So what I think he did is what all leaders did. We wrote about this for the Daily Coach today. He stood in front of his team, and he threw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus. Probably not the right thing to do, but he had to. The guy he really threw under a bus was George Payton, his general manager. 
because Peyton's the guy who hired all these people. Peyton's the guy who was in charge Mm -hmm. of the organization. Mm -hmm. Peyton had authority over everything. So that's the guy that everybody's focused on Nathaniel. Nobody focuses on George Peyton, and George is responsible for all this. It's, I mean, if I were George, I, I would be worried about my job. I mean, I, yep. would, I thought they would make a change. But, look, I think what Peyton did was put all the pressure on him, which is what all great leaders do is it comes through me. You know, I, everybody said, well, he blames somebody else. He blamed people that aren't in the building. He blamed that they're gone. So now everybody's going to say the players are absolved, and, it's, and if they don't win, it's on him. Well, yeah, if, if they don't have success, he's going to be the one that gets the criticism because everyone's going to bring these comments back, which is like you mentioned, he's putting it all on his back. I'm saying, all right, like if we don't succeed, hey, you can come at me because I'm I'm the one that's been willing to throw the gauntlet down and say that we're going to go ahead and correct what was wrong a season ago. But I'm sure you saw Aaron Rodgers' comments at Jets camp yeah. Sunday afternoon. Rodgers said to Peter Schrager of NFL Network saying, keep my coach's name out of your mouth. It's what Aaron Rodgers said, defending his guy. He went full Will Smith, didn't he? (laughs) He He went full Will Smith. (laughs) Everything but the F word. (laughs) I was like, we got to get get him in the octagon or something, man. Peyton and Rodgers, let's go. (laughs) I mean, look, you know, look, it it was it not what he said was true they were poorly was, coached i yeah. mean that's a fact now yeah, the one thing is disagreed. he broke the creed right you know when you go to no doctor bad mouths another doctor they just have this code of conduct right yep. same thing in the nfl there's no coach bad mouths another coach you know even though privately they do yep. but you know publicly they don't so he did but he did it for a specific reason you started this conversation asking the question that he asked it now he did it now because they're getting ready to start camp. He wanted to, he didn't if he would have done it in the OTAs, it wouldn't have been as meaningful. Now he's got a chance to basically, I've done six months of work. I've been here. Here's the problem. And it was, and I'm taking the responsibility. Yeah. It's just Rogers is gonna stick up for his guy as well, as he should. You know, it's like stick up for your offensive coordinator. Of Nathaniel, yeah, Nathaniel Hackett and he are very close. He said that he's he got enjoyed the job. his time with Hackett. Yeah. He, really he got on the job in Denver. I mean, you don't think that you don't think that uh, that George Payton. I mean, go back and read that Denver Post article about how proud George Payton and his staff were about finding Nathaniel Hackett and how they basically came together as a consensus. Once again, proving that there's never been a dedicate a monument dedicated to a committee. My guess just proves it. <laughs> Remember this: everybody thought Dan Quinn was getting that job. Everybody yeah. did, including me. Same. including people close to Dan Quinn, but he didn't because Nathaniel came out of nowhere and it had nothing to do with Rogers. It had everything to do with, they were impressed. Seems like he's a nice guy, <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's, maybe that's why Rogers loves him. I'm sure he is. Maybe he's, maybe he's charismatic in the room, but I, I, and uh, I, don't, I don't blame him either. Femi. I mean, the reality of it is, is this poor guy was put in a really hard job and nobody helped him. There was nobody there to help him. There was no senior leadership there, and that's George, That's on George Payton. He should have said, "Hey, hey, Nathaniel, we got to stop this, or we can't do, we shouldn't do that." Like there was nobody in the room. It just shows you that nobody knew what they were doing. And for Sean to say what he said, you got to. Well, who was watching the? Who was who was overseeing this? I'd be looking over my shoulder from George Payton. Got to get got to get that thing in line, otherwise. Your days could be numbered out there in the Rocky Mountains. That does it for this edition of the GM Shuffle Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to Beeson. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back on Thursday with another Blue Chips, Red Chips. We're going to the trenches, talking about some edge rushers on Thursday. Michael, I will talk to you then. Until then, we'll see you guys. All the best of luck going forward, and we'll talk to you guys on Thursday.